Turn your Bibles this morning to 2 Kings chapter 4. 2 Kings chapter 4. Well, did you have a good 4th of July? Well, I missed you last Sunday. My wife and I were helping my son at a fireworks stand in, uh, in, in Benton. And it was an interesting experience. What we do for our children because we love them, whether they're little or old. Uh, one thing I did no- notice, though, the crowd that shops Sunday after church is different than the crowd that shops about 11 or 12 o'clock on Sunday night. It's a different crowd. After church, they're coming in, you know, they look, they're dressed nice, they're very courteous and they're kind, and it's almost a little church feel. About 11 o'clock at night, other kind of folks are out. I'm telling you what, I hadn't seen as many men without shirts on and beer bellies in quite a while. Homemade tattoos, just, I just, I guess they're just doing it themselves. It's just a different world out there. Praise the Lord. I had a lot of experiences. You know, I, I, I watch people steal things. I watch people that I didn't know how their car would even make it up to the fireworks stand, buy a big bag, and, and other people drive but Hummers, you know, with more chrome than I know you could put on one of those things, and, and yet somehow they were trying to Jew you down for a dollar firework. I mean, did you know, it's a different world. I'll tell you a little story before I get into my message today. There was something that I thought kind of had an application to church. He had a sign up, and he said, as you come in this big tent. Now, this tent is probably like almost as long as our sanctuary and maybe maybe half as wide. It's a big deal. Anyways, a sign that said, no backpacks, no big purses or bags, which obviously you're trying to, you're trying to hinder, you know, keep theft down. Well, we didn't think about it until we watched this one lady. She had four kids and a decoy husband. And, and, and they knew how to work the stand now for, you know, dollar, 50 cent fireworks. I mean, it's pretty sad. Kind of watched her. She came in and she accidentally put something in her purse and somebody would give her the eye and she'd take it out of her purse. And we thought we'd get a little more assertive after that. So we thought we would just remind people when they came in, you know, we'd say, hey, we've got a policy. We'd appreciate it if you'd leave your bag here or in the car. And one lady came up and she, first thing she did, she said, hey, will you keep this for me? And I said, yeah, no problem. Thanks. Picked it up at the end. But this one lady, and here's kind of my point, she came in and, and um, she had a, had a bag. And, of course, one of the, one of the team there said, would you please uh, not bring your bag in? It's just a policy that we have. Nothing personal, but we'll just please don't do it. And she puzzled a look, but she took her bag and put it in her purse. And then I kind of watched her as she shopped around. I could tell this woman was getting angry. And uh, so she kind of made her way, had her basket full of stuff, and she makes her way all the way around. I could tell she was getting upset. I could just watch talking to her partner. Anyway, she comes close to, to the cash register, and she takes her stand, and she puts this on the counter and says, I don't want these. Here, take them. She left. And she got offended. And I started thinking about this, and I think she got offended because she thought we were singling her out or picking on her because of the way she looked. Well, it was not true at all. And it reminded me that same thing can happen in a church family that offenses can come in, get your feelings hurt, getting mad at something. And here's I'll give you a little thought or two on that. One is it's a trap of Satan because Satan would like nothing better than to divide, come on, the people of God and the family of God. And when someone, you know, I've been offended in church by people. Sometimes it happened unconsciously. The person had no clue what they were doing, and sometimes I think maybe they had a clue. But the bottom line, though, is when an offense comes, you have to do something. Now, what I want to encourage you to do is not do what this woman did, is not just leave your fireworks on the counter of the church and go home. But there's a couple of values and, and standards that we have I want to bring to your attention. 
One of the values of our church on page 6 is that we should be, we believe the church should be both racially and culturally diverse, which simply is a way of saying this. The church should be reflective of the community and how many know we're different in this community. The most segregated hour in America today is Sunday morning at 11 o'clock. If you look across America, you'll find that the church is not only segregated racially, the church is segregated by economics, the church is segregated by educational, the church is segregated by a number of different things. In our little town, we've got a state line that divides people. We've got an interstate that divides people. But it's my conviction that, this, that the church, not this just church, but every church, we should be able to leave our differences that divide us at the door and come and worship. Come on, the same Lord Jesus Christ gathereth the same cross because we hold to a common Bible. How many believe that? Now, now that's easy to say, but that's hard to do because we're different. And some of our differences are not necessarily rooted in the Bible. Some of our differences are rooted in our tradition. They're rooted in our past, in our heritage, in the hurt that we've experienced, our people that have gone before us. Some of our differences are rooted in politics that may or may not have a biblical basis. Some of them are just plain opinions. And somehow, I want to encourage you to go beyond that. See, because the Bible teaches us on page 14, actually, some of the standards that we try to live by is we want to protect the unity of our church. Because this is not just our church. How many know this is a, a part of the body of Christ? This is the Lord's house. And how many know unity in His house is more important, come on, than my difference with you over Democrats, Republicans, or Libertarians? Come on. I mean, I mean, something has to transcend above that. And if you've known me any length of time, I mean, I'm a conservative person. I'm a conservative theolo theologically, which means I believe the Bible is the standard of truth. I believe it's still true today. I believe we need to obey it. It's not suggestions. It's commandments. If the Bible says it's wrong, I believe it's still wrong. I'm conservative physically, uh, fiscally. I'm conservative uh, uh, in politics, you know. It doesn't matter if you're a Democrat or Republican, but there's some values, I think, that are grounded in the Bible. See, and, and, and I'm very vocal about that. But my, when I'm vocal, I'm not vocal about uh, who I'm voting for, what the party may be, but the principles of truth that are there. And it might ruffle you sometimes, but I want to encourage you, don't just, don't just see it through your past. In, in, in our gathering, see if it's got some biblical basis to it and let's head in that direction. We commit, protect our unity. Number two, we want to resolve our differences with other Christians according to the Bible, which simply means this. I don't want you to do what that lady did if you get offended and leave your fireworks at the door. Come on. Listen, if we do something wrong, and we will, because guess what? We're people just... Listen, this church is not perfect because you're here, okay? Can we just accept that right now? Come on. Now look around you, and it gets worse when you look around you. But when somebody, listen, if you ever, something bothers you or troubles you, you could talk to me. Please do. Talk to one of our pastors. Talk to somebody. Don't just let something eat at you. Come on. Isn't that what it means to walk in love? Now, listen, when that lady walked out of the fireworks stand, we lost 20 or 30 bucks. But if you get offended and, and, and leave, here's what happens. The devil wins, and there's a fracture in the body of Christ. And we need all the unity we can in our city for Jesus. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Hey, tell your neighbor, I'm glad to be a part of this church. That's it, it's right and it's tight. Second Kings chapter 4. I'm going to tell you a story this morning about a woman. She's called a Shunammite woman. That's all she's called in the Bible. A Shunammite woman. We read about her a few days ago in the Bible reading. And the prophet Elisha. Now, this morning I want to talk to you a, a message entitled Blessings and Miracles or Miracles and Blessings, which is, I mean, we could all use a miracle and a blessing. And this is a woman that experienced some incredible blessings in her life. 
And this morning, I want to kind of quickly look at those miracles and blessings she received and try to find out why she walked in that, and maybe we can learn something and apply it to our own lives. But in 2 Kings chapter 4, if I can, I want the liberty to just kind of condense the Scriptures to hit these high points here. This Shunammite woman had a miracle, another miracle, and then some incredible favor. Let's just quickly look at this in 2 Kings 4, her first miracle. Now, uh, as we open verse 14, we see... Uh, Elisha and his uh, his helper, they're talking, and the helper said she has no son and her husband is old. So here we've got an older woman, likely she's in menopause or beyond. She can't have children, though she desperately wanted them. And the miracle happened, verse 16, when Elisha said, at this season next year, you'll embrace a son. And lo and behold, verse 17, the woman conceived and she bore a son. Can you say with me, that's a miracle. Listen, if your body's no longer ovulating, if you cannot have babies and then you have a baby, that is a miracle. Now, in just a minute, I'm going to walk back and see what got her in position for that miracle. The second thing, she had another miracle. If you hopped ahead in verse 32, you'd see this child is a bit older now and there's a crisis. In verse 32, Elisha came in the house and the child is lying dead on his bed. I mean, no, that's not good. Here, this baby that was a miracle baby is now dead And Elisha amazingly goes in, prays to the Lord, and in verse 35, the child sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. Now, how many believe that God is the same yesterday? So she got a miracle. There was something that she could not do on her own, and God did for her. How many know if God did it for her, He might can do it for you? We're going to see why. And lastly, in chapter 8, we go ahead several more years. Now, this, this passage, of these three chapters, deal with a number of years. It's a time span. Not quite sure how many years, but it's several years. It could be 10, 12 years, maybe, maybe even more. In verse 1 of chapter 8, Elisha said to the woman, Arise and depart with your household, for the Lord has called for a famine. Now, how many know famine's a serious thing? Particularly in a day where they don't have Walmarts and storage bins all over the country. It's a trouble. Well, the famine lasted seven years, and in verse 3, at the end of those seven years, she went to appeal to the king for her house and her land. So she comes back home after being provided for for seven years. It seems as if her husband may be dead. She's by herself. She's a single mom. She's out there in the world, and God took care of her for seven years in a famine. She comes back home. The problem is her house, somebody else is living in her house and working her land. So she's got a little bit of a problem, but verse 6, she goes to the king... And she said, and the king said, restore all that was hers together with all the produce of the fields from the day she left the land until now. Now think about this. Here's this woman who's walked away from her material goods. Not only does she get her land and her house back, she gets seven years of income that she lost. The king just said, basically, write her a check. Now, here's a question I want to ask you this morning. Why did that happen to her? One miracle, two miracle, and a triple blessing. That's the question we want to ask this morning. Was it just luck? Was it an accident? You know, I mean, if you're a gambler today, it probably ought to be a pretty good day for you. 7-11, July 7th, or July 11th. I don't play dice. That's just what they say. It's okay. We won't go into that. Anyway, um, was it luck? Was it an accident? Or was she walking somehow in the favor of God? And here's the big question. Is there something I can apply to my life today that this same thing might happen to me? Okay, let's look in the Bible this morning and see what the Scripture might unfold to us. 
Go to uh, chapter 4 again, verse 8, and let's try to understand some reasons for her blessing. And as I teach this this morning, I, I do not want to suggest that God's blessing are, are, can be dumbed down to a formula like a lever, and if you just ABC, you always get D. But I want to suggest to you that if it happened to her, it can happen to you, and it behooves you to get yourself in position so it's most likely to work in your life. It just makes sense. Look in verse 8 now. Now, this is before the birth of the son. So what I did with you is I showed you the miracle. Now we're going to go back and see, did she do something before this happened that might have opened the door for it? Well, in verse 8, it begins her relationship of Elisha and this woman from Shunem, or the Shunammite woman. He went there where a wealthy woman lived who urged him to eat some food. Whenever he passed that way, he would turn in there to eat food. And she said to her husband, Behold now, I know that this is a holy man of God. Now, I would underline that in my Bible. I know this is a holy man of God. That is, he was someone genuinely representing God. He was someone that was, was advancing the kingdom of God. And this is the first point I want to make because I think the reason for her blessing was is because God's blessing, was uh, God's kingdom was first in her life. Let me say it again. Some people seek God for what He can give them. Other people seek God for who He is not just for what He can give them. Some people are seeking His hand and His handouts. Others are seeking His heart and His will. She seemed to be someone that was kingdom-minded. It was a holy man of God. Verse 10, let's make a small room on, uh, on the roof. So she did more than talk to him. She made him uh, basically a room with walls and put in a bed, a table, a chair, and a lamp. So whenever he comes to us, he can go in. Now, think with me just a minute. Why did she do this? Basically, she said, I'm going to give you a room that whenever you come here, I'm going to feed you and I'm going to take care of you. My husband and I, we're going to take care of your needs because you're a man of God, which is code for you're someone that's advancing the kingdom of God. You're someone that's moving God's kingdom forwards, and I want to do something to support that and get involved in it. Now, she was not kind to, I, clearly she was not kind to him because she felt sorry for him. She was not trying to charge money. She didn't negotiate rent once she built the room. She was not swapping favors or seeking personal gain. If we took the time to read the passage, we would see that, that Elisha offered her uh, an audience or a word with the king or the commander. She said, no, that's not why I'm doing this. And that's very key. She was doing it because she was advancing the kingdom of God through this man of God. Now, there's great application in that today. Because if you will take care of God's house, guess what he'll do? He'll take care of you. If you will give yourself to advancing His kingdom. Now, for some of you, that may, may mean going on a missions trip. We're doing a missions trip. We're going to an Indian reservation. Pastor Mike is leading a group, and youth are going in just a few weeks in, in South Dakota. Our church, a number of years ago, uh, invested $30,000 and built a church on the Indian reservation where only 4% of the people there are Christian. It has a huge uh, suicide rate. It's a hopeless place. Over 60% unemployment. I'm telling you, it is a place within our borders of an unchurched people that need the Lord. What if God spoke to you to go? Or what if He spoke to you to give? Or what if He spoke to you to pray? It's an opportunity where the kingdom of God is being established, and we just simply say yes to what God prompts us to do. It could be anything as simple as giving a tithe. It could be, it could be whatever it might be. But somewhere where God is moving and God is working and His kingdom is advancing, you get behind that. And that's exactly what this woman did. She invested time. She spent money. She made sacrifice to advance the kingdom of God. Now, isn't that what Jesus taught us about our priorities in Matthew 6? We are to seek first the what? 
kingdom of God and His righteousness, and then what happens? All these things will be added to you. Now, the context of that verse was about worry, where people were giving themselves to, you know, what am I going to do for money? And how am I going to uh, get food to eat? And how am I going to, you know, how am I going to get a, a shelter and clothes and all those different things? What am I going to do to take care of myself? Well, Jesus said, listen, all those things are important, but first things first. Seek my kingdom first. Get up in the morning and say, Lord, here I am, your servant. I'm not just going to the job to work. I'm going to advance the kingdom. Now, you use me here on this job, whether it's Cooper Tire or, or, or wherever you're working, whatever you're doing. You're getting up and going to high school. You're going to college. Lord, I'm not going just to get a job. I'm going to serve you as I go. Are, are you understanding what I'm saying? You're a kingdom-minded person, and guess what? Extraordinary blessing followed. Now, that's not the only biblical example where that happened. You could say, well, that was just an isolated case of, uh, of some great prophet man. And, and why did he pick her when there were literally tens or hundreds of thousands of people, but this woman was singled out? You know, there's other examples of this in the Bible. How about Solomon? You remember Solomon's story? It's an amazing one. I call it God's Let's Make a Deal. Remember, in a dream, God appeared to him and said, ask me, what do you want me to give you? Now, come on, what would you do if somebody asked you, said, anything you can have, I'll give it to you? Come on now, spiritual people. What would you say? Come on. How many bigger bass boats? Let me see. Eh, come on. Come on. Duck leases. I'll raise my hand. Turkey leases. You got... Don't be so spiritual on me out there this morning. I mean, you look. You get those catalogs and you shop the Internet. Your list is long. Come on. You pay bills and you still got a list. And somebody came up to you and said, I'll give you anything you want. Ladies, how big a house do you want? I'm trying to get you out of this ethereal spiritual realm into the world you live in every day. Come on. What kind of car do you want? What kind of car do you want? Lamborghinis? Any Lamborghinis? Two, three honest people in the whole room. I can't. I, all I can do. Solomon said this. Solomon said, "I want you to give me wisdom so I can lead your people." He didn't ask for anything for himself. He said, "And what is this? It's a picture of somebody wanting the kingdom instead of themselves." See, it doesn't mean that you don't matter. It just means that God is first. And it so impressed God that God said, I'm going to give it to you. He made him the wisest man that ever was on this earth other than Christ himself. But then he said, I'm going to do something else. I'm going to give you so much wealth, and I'm going to bless your socks off, Solomon, and I'm going to give you a long life on top of that because you didn't just seek stuff. You sought my kingdom. Somebody say, praise the Lord. Well, how about a New Testament? Remember when Peter, remember the story when the rich young ruler went to Jesus, wanted eternal life, and, and the one thing he wouldn't do is give up a little money for the poor, and Jesus showed him his heart. And then Peter said, hey, look, we have forsaken everything to follow you. That's big. What do we get out of the deal? And Jesus said, hey, listen, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to give you a hundredfold. If you've left houses, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to give you relationships. I'm going to provide for you. You're going to have some troubles along the way, but in the end, I'm going to give you eternal life. Now, I'm going to tell you what, that is a deal. And the first lesson I think we can learn from this Shunammite woman is put first the kingdom of God in my life. Let God's ways be first. Amen? Punch your neighbor and say, there's something in this this morning. Seeking God's kingdom first. Now, look with me. Go in chapter 4, verse 18. This is the second part, and this is probably my favorite part of the message this morning. Not only was she a kingdom-first believer, she had great faith. Now, stay with me on this one. Look at verse 18. This is prior to the miracle when her son was raised from the dead. Now, verse 18, the child had grown. Now, we're not sure how old the child is, but let's say it could be elementary age, could be an early teenager. It's been a number of years, but she's still in relationship with Elisha. 
let's just for conversation's sake, let's say the boy was 10. It's been about 10 years since she built that room. He's still coming. They're still feeding him. She's still kingdom. Verse 18, when the child had grown, he went out one day to his father among the reapers. They're gathering grain. And he said to his father, oh, my head hurting. My head is hurting. His daddy said to the servant, carry him to his mother. When he lifted him and brought him to his mother, the child sat on her lap until noon and then died. Now, medical folks tell us that they likely died from inflammation of the brain out of a sunstroke. Just out in the sun too long and brain swelled and he died. Now, how many know that's a tough situation? See, thank God for doctors today. Thank God you've got an emergency room. And thank God if you don't have any money, you can still show up there. It isn't a tragedy the way that they politicize health care and immigration reform. It's a tragedy in our nation today. But here this woman has nowhere to go. This baby is just dead. Now, what do you do when somebody dies? It's over. I mean, it is over. And you will face, here's what I know. Life is filled with trouble. Sometimes you and I will feel devastated and helpless to do anything to change our situation. Come on. You ever felt that way? You ever been in a spot in life where you're just, it's bigger than me, I can't do anything about it. My hand, it's more than just my hands are tied. I, I, I'm helpless to do a thing. Now, that's the condition. But listen, you and I as Christians share something with this Shunammite woman. Our faith believes, come on, that the impossible can happen. Hope for us is never lost. Look at verse 21. Where did she do with this child? Did she call the funeral director? What did she do? She went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God. Now, she already, not because she was wanting this to happen, but she just was after the kingdom, and it's a benefit falling. The man of God sleeps upstairs. Now, he's away. Now, these next few verses are just incredible. She called her husband and said, Send me one of the servants and one of the donkeys, so I may quickly go to the man of God and come back again. And the husband said, Well, why are you going to him today? It's not the new moon or the Sabbath, which simply means it's not a religious day. We're not going to do something religious. There's no indication, though it's hard for me to believe, there's no indication that she even told her husband he was dead. I don't know. But bottom line, though, her husband is out of the loop. And what she said here, I, I just had to stop when I was reading this. She said to her husband, all is well. In the margin of your King, New King James, it says, it will be well. The New Living Translation says, it's going to be all right. The NIV says, it's all right. Now, how could you be holding a dead child and say it's going to be all right? Because she was not just thinking, when, he get, when I get to heaven, I'll see him again. Verse 25 then she goes looking for the man of God. And when the man of God, Elisha, saw her coming, he said to Gehazi's servant, verse 26, run at once to meet her and ask her, is it well with you? Is it well with your husband? Is it well with the child? And she answered, now, is this not one of the greatest examples of faith in the midst of impossible circumstances you've ever seen in your life? And can I tell you, the Bible says Jesus Christ is the same. See, God did not stop His supernatural hand in humanity when He died on the cross. How many know that? Now, now let's step into this a little bit more. She, she said, all was well, even though He was dead, because she had faith that God could do the impossible, and He did. Now, that does not mean that every time you have faith, God will do the impossible. But it does say, for the impossible to happen, you've got to have faith. Because God is moved by faith, not by need. Let me say it again. He's moved by your faith, not by the needs that surround your lives. And this is not just an Old Testament problem, and this is not just a prophet. 
Look what Jesus said in Mark 9.22. We have Jesus and disciples. Uh, there's, there's a dad that has a child that's suicidal. This child was throwing himself in the water, throwing himself in the fire, which basically they all understood that it was a demon that was controlling him. And verse 22, Jesus said, or the, the dad said, it's often cast him into fire and water to destroy him. But he said to Jesus then, this daddy, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus' response was incredible. Jesus said, if you can, all things are possible for... Say that again. I want everybody to say it. All things are possible for the one who believes. The Message Bible says this, verse 23, this way. Jesus said, if, there's no ifs among believers, anything can happen. And that's what I want to tell you today. See, the problem with me, I've been a Christian over 30 years, and I've had faith for a lot of things that have not happened. And the tendency is to not have faith again because it might not happen again. I've been asking you for a month to pray for my dad as a farmer for some rain in North Mississippi. Yesterday I talked to him on the phone a day before, and he said it still hadn't rained. Now, that's not very good when soybeans started. Well, where is God? And you follow the little weather deal, and you see clouds going around, and you say, God, why? You st Are you going to have faith? Are you going to have... And I was reading the other day in the Bible where it talked about Elijah when the water came in the ditches. You remember that when they were poor? So my prayer shifted from, Oh, Lord, if it's a zero per chance of rain today, let water just come from underneath the ground and touch the earth. You say, Well, what if he loses his crops? God is still God. Come on. And there's something bigger than the thing that I prayed for because God, come on, He's still a God of miracles. You cannot have a baby and you're after menopause and then you have a child and then the baby dies, but your faith makes you put your child on the bed of the man of God and somebody says, how is it going? And you don't go, oh, it's so bad, it's so terrible. All is well. It's going to be all right. And that's the, what faith can do for you. I want to tell you, that's the second thing this Shunammite woman told us. Because you know what happened after that. That child was raised from the dead. She got him and she went and she brought Elisha back. Gehazi couldn't do anything about the situation. You know the story. Elisha went in there and prayed. He laid on the child. Nothing happened. He did it again. Come on, you know the story. And that baby started sneezing. And all of a sudden that baby said, Whoa! I'm back! And that mama, can you imagine what that mother felt? But can you imagine the triumph of faith that takes you to the other side? Give the Lord a big hand this morning. L let's look at one last thing this morning. The first thing is that she, God's kingdom was first in her life. Secondly, she had great faith. But this third one is a big one. She was obedient to the man of God. Now let's leap ahead to chapter 8. In verse 1, now we're a number of years farther yet down the passage. So it seems like she's going to have a relationship with this man of God that could well go 20 years or so. But in verse 8, now this is prior to the famine where he's going to provide for her and prior to her property being restored. So this is the setup. Verse 1, Elisha said to her, Arise and depart with your household, for the Lord has called for a famine and it will come upon the land for seven years. So... It's like God singled her out for some reason. Perhaps it was her kingdom mindset. And basically said, listen, there's a famine coming. They're not going to have food here. I want you to go somewhere else. And the, and, and, and the assumption is, I'm going to take care of you. 
Well, lo and behold, we keep reading. Look at verse 2. Now, you could read over this fast or you could pause on it. The woman arose and did according to the word of the man of God. Is it possible that her obedience took care of her for the next seven years? And what would have happened if she would have not obeyed? Yeah, who knows what could have happened? And you and I have that same opportunity at multiple times of our life. Am I going to say yes to the Lord or am I going to say no? She went with her household. She lived in the land of the Philistines seven years. Have you ever gone somewhere you didn't want to go? Have you ever been somewhere you didn't want to be? But God brought you there? Well, how many know you can either wear a frown the whole time or you can say, yes, Lord, because I'm kingdom-minded and I'm here to serve you. See, she made a choice to make uh, to do what God said. And when she did that, she put the responsibility for her future in the hand of God. Now, let me tell you, this is not just some old ancient story. You may have to live this in the near future in America because America, my friend, is near an economic famine. We've not experienced that here in Texarkana. We say thank God for that to any degree. But I want to tell you what, our nation and our world is in economic trouble. If you follow different states, the state of Illinois, they are broke, friend. They're $4 billion behind. They cannot pay basic services. Listen, some towns are not even wanting to cremate people. I read yesterday where there was a town that was... It's just so gross you didn't want to think about it. What they were doing with dead bodies because they couldn't afford to take care of them. There's just no money. And the way, listen, what we've got, eight, nine, maybe ten states in America that are on the verge of bankruptcy, they survived a year because of this funny money the government gave to them. And rather than cutting back, you look at California, 20 billion some odd dollars in debt, not counting all the unfunded pensions. They tell you our nation is what, 12, 16 trillion dollars in debt? They don't include the unfunded liabilities like Medicare, come on, and Social Security and all those other things. We're well over a hundred trillion dollars that we don't have money to pay for. And they keep on a pit printing money and throwing money at it. Have you ever thought you would read when the world did not want the U.S. dollar as its currency and our dollar one day would be worth nothing? Listen. It is a famine that is in front of America today. And I don't care how much money you've got in the bank or how much gold you've got hidden in your yard that you may forget where you put it. I don't care what you've got, friend. You need more than what you can do for yourself. There's a lot of people with degrees that are unemployed. Listen, I met another man from Michigan. We've got another one that came several months ago here today because he can't find a job in Michigan. Are you with me this morning? Listen, somewhere in all this, we need the God, listen, who's greater than the famine to take care of us. That's why when you pray every day, you don't, pr you, you, you don't just look at your provision from the check in your hand or from your business company or lease. Listen, God is the one that's behind that. See, see, Applebee's doesn't feed you lunch. God feeds you lunch. He just happened to use Apple. Are you with me? Or any restaurant in town. The Walmart doesn't feed you. Listen, the truck is not your source. Come on, the farmer's not your source. God is your source. And when you say, give me this day, you are recognizing that. Listen, when you give your tithe, you're saying, Lord, I realize this came from you, and in faith I return it back to you. Listen, we can either take care of ourselves or trust God to do it for us. Now, now look at verse 3. At the end of seven years, that's a long time. So God took care of her for seven years. She went and to appeal to the king for her house and her land. And the king appointed an official for her and said, Restore all that was hers together with all the produce of the fields from that day. And she left the land until now. Can you say triple blessing? Listen, while this woman was away, she got taken care of for seven years. And then she came back home and she'd abandoned her house and she'd abandoned her lands. And... 
If you read, if we had time to go back and read it, listen, Gehazi is talking to the king about the situation, and this woman walks in the building at the exact same moment, seven years after she left. Well, it's just a happenstance, sir. It's a cosmic accident. Really? I just thought the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And she just showed up and she had the audacity to ask the king. Not only did he give her her house back, her land back. He said, how much money should she have made on this property the last seven years? And she took, now listen, this king has been living in seven years of famine. He's like a governor trying to manage their poor state right now. Come on. And he writes a check to her for seven years. Where did all this favor come from? came from God, but it seems like she was in position to receive it. See, and the lesson this morning from the Shunammite woman is, is, is this. Listen, if it worked for her, I believe it can work for us. And, and the first lesson, come on, they're going to put them on the screen here. I'm done. First lesson you, you need to embrace and pl- apply in your life today is God's kingdom was first in her life. Is it first in yours? Now, listen, I've been where some of you may be. I've been a Christian that just sought God for his hand when I needed something. And I grew over the years to where I'm after him for his heart, whether it gives me a thing or not. See? It's maturity. Is God's kingdom first in your life or is it second? Second thing, she had great faith. And the third thing, she was obedient to the man of God, which is simply a way of saying the kingdom of God, the will of God, the word of God, the purposes of God. She did what God said. And how many know, if if we live that way, we get ourselves in a good position. So if famine comes or a miracle is needed, the God of heaven will hear and answer our prayer. Give him a good hand this morning. I want to pray for you today. I wonder if you're here this morning and say, gosh, I, I, I need a big miracle in my life. I feel like that woman and the baby and, and all that. Maybe your child is, if I could use it as a metaphor, your child has died. You need a miracle. I don't mean life's just a little difficult. I mean you need a miracle. Maybe you're here and you're under financial duress. Maybe the famine's affecting you pretty strong. Maybe worry is just kind of gets all over you. But if you just want to ask God, say, God, help me. I, I want to reach out to you this morning. I don't want to be desperate, but I want to get in a position where your favor follows me. But I've got some challenges in my life right now. Would you just lift your hand? Nobody looking around. We'll just pray right where you are. Yeah, this is all over. I've I, I got some, some struggles. i got some stuff. I need you. You might want to slip both hands to heaven. Say, God, it's like, it's like an electric cord, and you're looking to plug it into the socket. Your hands be like that. Lord, we need what only you can give us. And whether it's our weak faith or our bad experience, our past experience, our disappointment, our mistakes, whatever it may be, but there's a lot of folks in here saying they need your help. And I want to ask you, Lord, that you would meet them today. I want to pray that today would be the beginning of a turnaround, the beginning of a miracle. Now, for everybody that's in the room today, maybe, look at me just a second here. Let's all join in this commitment. I'll pray a prayer, but it means nothing unless it's your heart. Could we pray that God would help us all become kingdom first people? Whatever, I don't know what it may mean to you. I don't know what God might ask of you, what opportunity. But I I bet she's pretty glad as she looked back on her life that she had enough good sense to feed that prophet and build a house for him. Because it brought her a baby, a miracle for that baby, kept her alive in famine. Come on. And then it gave her back what she'd lost. So could we pray in just a second from your commitment, Lord, I want to be a kingdom-minded person. I want your ways to be first. Whether I get anything or not, it's not the issue. 
I want to advance your kingdom, number one. Number two, could we pray and ask God to help us with our faith? I know many of us have had disappointments in faith. But could we pray in a fresh way that we might take that child and put it on that prophet's bed and say, all is well? And lastly, could we pray this last one, is that we would simply do what God says. And that's a hard one. At least it is for me because i got a selfish streak in me. How about you? Well, Lord, that's, that's our, our commitment this morning. And only the Holy Spirit in each individual can work it out. But I want to pray for every man, woman, and child that's here this morning that we would do what Jesus said. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and leave the rest up to God. Lord, would you help us all with this thing of faith today? Let us know the difference between faith and presumption. Faith is not a, a genie's lamp, but faith is somehow this divine interchange where our belief and confidence is in you. Would you help it grow and flourish and let us see the results of it? Faith to receive and faith to endure, depending on where we are. And lastly, Lord, would you help us to be people who obey? Simply say yes. Yes to the Word of God we read. Yes to the prompting of the Spirit of God and a a dream, a vision, a prophetic word. Yes to proven delegated spiritual authority like Elisha. Yes to you. And let that be our life. In Jesus' name. And everybody said? Hey, it was a good day, wasn't it? Hey, I want to have one more prayer now. And again, you know, this idea about a third service, you might even feel the conviction already today. You may want to just go and put your little deal on the board there, stamp it. But I want you to think about if you're going to be involved, where you might serve with us on, on that time so we can offer a quality experience to people that come on Saturdays. But I'm going to ask you this, if we can just turn our heart one, one moment, and I want to ask everyone in here about your soul. Now, last Wednesday I was taking a walk in a park, Spring Lake Park, and I met these teenagers. Gosh, I wish they were here today. And uh, we got to talking, and I asked them, hey, you guys go to church? I could tell they didn't. One said, well, where's me going to go to church? And the other one said, well, I'm a Southern Baptist. And then this guy there, I'm guessing he was maybe 16, 17-ish. He said, well, I'm a Satanist. I said, really? And I stuck my hand out and shook my hand, smiled at him real big. And I said, well, tell me about it. Tell me why you do it. I want to help you understand. And uh, he said, well, it meets my needs. It helps me to, you know, it helps me to process and understand life. I said, well, that's great. I said, let me ask you this. What happens when you die? And he said, well, they're just going to put me in a hole and I'm going to rot. And, and my energy is going to become one with something. I don't remember his exact words, but like, you know, it's just going to go out there and it's going to give energy to other stuff. I said, man, Jesus Christ offers you hope beyond the grave where you can still be you and you can be you for all eternity. That's the difference. I wonder what's going to happen to you when you die. Here's what Jesus Christ said. Jesus, the Bible says that it's appointed unto man once to die and then face the judgment. The Bible says we've all sinned, fallen short of the glory of God, which is simply a way of saying we've all done wrong, we've all made mistakes, and that sin will cause us to be judged on that great day. The Bible says that we don't cease to exist, but we'll spend all eternity in one or two places, heaven or hell. The Bible further teaches that you don't get a second chance. You don't get to go to heaven and one day and stand before God and say, whoop, changed my mind. Now is the appointed day. And whether you like it or not or think it's fair or agree with it, I'm just telling you, that's what the Bible says. But Jesus Christ offers a way out. See, our sin separated us from God. And the cross of Christ, when He shed His blood, it's like the debt penalty of your sin 
Jesus paid it. That's what the cross was about. He took your place if you'll let him. If you will simply say, I want that forgiveness. And I want to put my trust in you. And I want to follow you. See, Jesus didn't just offer tickets to go to heaven when you die. Jesus said, follow me and I'll make something in your life. So I want to ask you this question today. Do you want to follow Christ? Do you know if you died today, are you 100% certain you'd go to heaven or hell? Listen, a lot of people just don't have warning. Some do, but it comes to all men. If you're here today and say, Pastor, I'd like to get right with God. I'd like to put my trust and my faith in Christ. I want to become a believer. I'm willing to repent and turn from my sins and follow Jesus. It may be the first time you've ever made this step to Christ, or perhaps you made it in the past and got away from God, and today is the day you want to come back. But if either of those are true, I'd be honored to pray with you today. If you're here this morning and say, Pastor, I want to get right with God, I want the church to pray. Would you lift your hands real quickly? Do it quickly this morning. I'm out of time. You're here today. I want to get right with God this morning. Anybody today? All right. Praise the Lord. Give these ladies a big hand over here. God bless you. God bless you. Anybody else this morning? You're not joining a church. You're simply wanting to make a step to Christ, and we want to help you. Anybody else this morning? Come on up. Let somebody pray for you this morning. Come on up. Let somebody pray with you. Give them another big hand. God bless both you ladies. I need a couple girls to help them. I need a couple, couple ladies to come over here and help these girls today. Praise the Lord. God bless you. I just want to say that we're very, very proud of you. And what you're doing today, listen, is not for us. We don't want a thing from you. We just want to be able to help you. It's like somebody found a good restaurant. We tell them we can get something good to eat. And I'll tell you what, Jesus Christ has the potential to change your life. And we're very proud of you. Let me tell you why I asked you to come up here. I didn't want to embarrass you. I don't want anything from you. But I know if you don't have the courage to stand in front of a group of people that will clap their hands, you're not going to find the courage when you're with your friends and when you're out in the world. But this is a first step to you. And I know God has something very, very special for your lives. And we're just real proud of you. There's a couple ladies standing right behind you. They're going to talk to you a little bit more. They're going to answer any questions you might have. And they've had the privilege to pray with you. But we hope we can share the next step with you. Because going this experience with Christ is not like going to a movie and it was a great show and you walked out and never came back. It's the beginning of your journey with Christ, and we want to help you with the next step. They'll tell you how. God bless you. Give them another big hand. Praise the Lord. Hey, this was a really good day, wasn't it? Wednesday night, we've got John Bevere right here. We hope you'll come and be a part of that. And uh, you bring a friend next Sunday, and we'll, uh, we'll share the love of Christ with them. God bless you. I love you. Pastor Joe has the concluding comment. It's a good day today. Hey, if you want more information about the church, about how to get connected in a small group or the life of our church, Right behind our sanctuary, we have our connect room. We have pastors back there that would love to meet with you. So here's how we're going to go out today. On the count of three, as we all stand, we're going to say praise the Lord at the top of our voice. You ready? One, two, three. Praise the Lord. God bless you.